Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. We know that church is very different too. I'm sure there's a lot of dissertations working their way through seminary considering long-term impacts of the pandemic on churches. But again, we don't need PhDs to tell us what we are experiencing every single Sunday. We lost church members to the disease. We also lost church members to the shutdowns. There are people that we know and love who walked out of church in March of 2020 and haven't returned, not just to our church, haven't returned to any church. And we've talked about this a lot, especially as the pandemic has become more endemic, new habits formed. And we may or may not have helped fuel those habits by creating church on demand. And don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for our YouTube presence. I've been on vacation. I've been able to watch our service and make sure that the person filling in didn't say or do anything that would get him or me into trouble. And for those who are stuck at home for illness or those traveling for work or even for pleasure, being able to catch our service online is invaluable. In many ways, what we do online is just the next iteration of the old tape and CD ministry that used to happen in the church where uh, somebody would make a CD and send it out. It's it's the same, it's a new version of that. But just like a tape or a CD is no replacement for in-person gathering of the body of Christ, the online thing is no replacement for the flesh and blood fellowship of the church. And if the last three years has taught me anything, it's taught me just how precious this gathering is. It's taught me how precious it is to to see small gatherings in Sunday school classes and in homes. It's such a delight to see Christmas parties and things like that for Sunday school classes happening. It's, It's beautiful when we get to come together to celebrate baptism, to share the elements of the Lord's Supper. It's encouraging. To, um, to sit around the table and break bread together. I, Wednesday night suppers are such a treat to be able to sit down and break bread with our church family together. Some of y'all don't come, and you are missing a, true, a, a wonderful treat to come together and break bread with your church family. What's astonishing as I think about this, and I just reflect over this for the last three years, not everyone feels the same way. And even if they wouldn't dare disagree with those statements on their lips, their actions actually tell a very different story. Next Sunday, it's of course Easter Sunday. Uh, Some people call it the Super Bowl of the Christian church where we all come together and, and everybody's here. It's a packed house. Now don't get me wrong, I love Resurrection Day. I love the emphasis. I love the focus. I love the fact that we get to come together and make much of our risen Savior on Easter Sunday. But if I can be completely honest with you, I have to fight hard against discouragement on Easter Sunday. Most pastors excited about a full sanctuary, especially after a Sunday where so many of our uh, normal gathering is away for spring break. But what if that full sanctuary is just a facade that's created by the holiday? And don't get me wrong, we'll preach the gospel next week and we're going to trust the Lord to work in the hearts of some people. But as your pastor, I long for a church that's filled not because of a date on the calendar, but a church that's filled because people love Jesus and because people want to be part of his church. I long for that. Uh, It's great that we circle a date on the calendar that calls our attention to the cross and the empty tomb, but I truly believe that every time we as the church gather on Sunday, we are making a declaration about the empty tomb. 
We gather today on Palm Sunday. It is the Sunday before Easter. We are making a declaration about the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. If it weren't, we'd still be gathering on Saturday, or we wouldn't be gathering at all because we're, we're not Jewish. And with no resurrection, that means there's no church. That means there's no reason for us to gather. And even though we may not sing resurrection songs or preach resurrection sermons, simply by gathering on Sunday, we are declaring that we are a resurrection people who've been transformed by a living Savior. A Christian culture that fuels an Easter is enough mindset is simply placing a worship service alongside all the other offerings of the day. Chocolate bunnies, colorful eggs, worship service, put them all in a cellophane wrapped basket and call it a holiday. But I'm convinced that there's got to be more. This week, you're going to notice that the church's social media is going to be featuring a campaign called NotJustEaster.com. This is something that we put together in the spirit of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. NotJustEaster.com is a social media campaign that's connected to a website to help people think about Sunday as more than just a holiday, to, to help us think about more than just Easter gathering, that, that as Christians, we ought to be thinking about more than just showing up on that one spring Sunday a year. As you see these posts show up, please share them. If you've got the app, you probably just got buzzed in your pocket about, uh, about a way you can download those images and share them on your own social media. So please do share them as we want to help people think beyond just the importance of Easter because I believe this and I believe that we as a church would agree with this too. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is too important for it to be just a once a year thing. It's too important for us to place all this emphasis on one day. We call it the Super Bowl Sunday of, of Christians. Every Sunday ought to be the Super Bowl Sunday of Christians because by gathering, we are making a declaration that we serve a risen Savior and he is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of the declaration that our God lives. I hope you'll join me in celebrating that this week and beyond. As we dig into this text from 1 Thessalonians today, I think we're going to find even more evidence of what we just talked about, that the body of Christ is, is so critical. The body of Christ is so important. It's more important than we tend to acknowledge. And as we head into this Easter week, may we find the same affection for the body that we see from the Apostle Paul here. We're finishing up chapter 2 today from 1 Thessalonians. And so if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me as I read these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning there in verse 17. The Apostle Paul says this, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul, for his affection for the church. I pray, God, that in this consumer-driven age, in this time when our attention is focused in so many different ways, that we will find our church our joy and our glory, just as Paul does here. Thank you for your words here to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
We talked about last week that Paul is taking some time here reflecting on the suffering that the church has had to endure. And as we move into verse 17 today, we can't help but remember the story from Paul's time in Thessalonica back in Acts chapter 17. You remember the Jewish opposition to the gospel stirred up the town and caused Paul and Silas to have to leave under the cover of darkness. Not exactly how they wanted to finish up their time there in Thessalonica. It wasn't how they wanted to finish their ministry there. And so we encounter this letter to Paul, and it's Paul's way of reconnecting with his church uh, probably a short while after leaving there. It wasn't like he was gone for a long time and wrote this. This probably happened pretty quickly after he left. And as Paul is reflecting on the church, he's thinking about the actions that he took there. There's some really important principles that he introduces to us here that I want us to understand. And the first thing that I think that it's, I wouldn't have even thought about this three years ago, but it's right there in plain sight. There is particular value in face-to-face relationships in the church. There's particular value in face-to-face relationships at the church. And again, I probably would have skipped over this phrase if I'd read this three or four years ago. It's not a big deal. He's talking about wanting to be there. For Paul, the only option for how he can connect with the church was through letters, by the back-and-forth testimony of emissaries like Timothy, we find out at the beginning of chapter 3, or in those face-to-face interactions, those face-to-face meetings. And of course, he recognized the value of those face-to-face interactions. You've got to wonder how the things we take for granted today, these simple advances in communication would have revolutionized Paul's ministry back in the day. If Paul had just had access to a telephone, well, for one, we might not have had the New Testament like we have it uh, because the letters wouldn't have existed if he had been able to pick up the phone and and call up somebody at the church. Think about the the more complex advancements like FaceTime and Zoom, how those things would have changed the, the, the nature of ministry in the New Testament. In spite of those advancements that we possess today, even if Paul had had access to those things, I don't think he would have changed what he wrote here. I think Paul still would have longed for the face-to-face connection rather than the phone call or the Zoom meeting. Jeremy Balenson of the Stanford Virtual Human Interaction Lab recently published a study on the mental impact of spending hours per day on Zoom or other popular video chat platforms. The study concludes there are four reasons why we hate Zoom calls. And if you've had to do them, I've never met anybody who says, I can't wait for this Zoom call. The only time I've wanted to be on a Zoom call is if it saved me from having to drive to Atlanta or something for a meeting. I'll trade Atlanta for a Zoom call. But even then, I don't like it. There's four reasons that this study came up with, and they're very interesting. One is that extreme amounts of close-up eye contact is too intense for us. And so if you think about a Zoom call, you've got a screen full of Brady Bunch characters that are staring back at you, and you're making eye contact with all of them all at the same time, which is very unnatural for us in terms of how we communicate. If I'm talking to you, I'm making eye contact with one person, and as I scan the room, I'm, I'm changing my eye contact. There's no way I can make eye contact with everybody all at once. And so the, the amount of eye contact we enter into in these video meetings, as the, it's all abnormal. It's, it's not how we are geared to operate. Everybody's looking at everyone all the time. And now, granted, there's been some very interesting uh, blooper things that have come out of these sort of uh, these sort of things, where where somebody's in their Zoom screen, their Brady Bunch panel, and you know they're picking their nose or something like that that uh, that they wouldn't normally do in any kind of a, a business meeting. But on a Zoom call, they are. In those situations, listeners become speakers. 
because people are staring at you even when you don't speak. Another reason we hate it is prolonged episodes of watching yourself on video is fatiguing. Now, again, imagine that, that I followed you around all day with a mirror in front of you. And somebody with an ego might say, well, thank you. Uh, but you, it's, uh, it's unnatural. And video platforms, they all display a square of what you look like, and that's so unnatural in how we would normally function. Thirdly, video chats considerably lower our ability to move. We have to stay in frame. You don't move around. In person-to-person -person and in phone chats, people have the freedom to move. Our camera crew up there hates when I move because, uh, because I'm supposed to stay in frame for them. And, uh, but we have the freedom to move when we're in real conversation, even when we're having the phone. But when we do that on a Zoom call or FaceTime call, it's unnatural. And then finally, they say the cognitive load is much higher in these platforms. Balance and the author notes that in typical face-to-face -face interaction, Nonverbal communication is natural, but in video conversations, we work harder to convey and receive signals. The study states that gestures could mean different things in a video context. A, a sideways glance at somebody in a face-to-face -face meeting signifies something very different than trying to point to somebody in a grid of a Brady Bunch family or when somebody is trying to go after their dog who started scratching at the door. And so we, we aren't geared to like this. It's not healthy for us. Reflecting on this issue with the modern church today, and even for the people who are watching uh, wherever they're watching today as they're away on spring break, Jonathan Lehman, writing for the Gospel Coalition, said this bluntly, there is no such thing as virtual church. He said, praise God we can download biblical truths, but let's praise God that the Christian life is more than just an information transfer. When church is only online, we can't feel, we can't, uh, we can't experience, we can't witness those truths becoming enfleshed in the family of God, which both fortifies our faith and creates cords of love between brothers and sisters. Virtual church is an oxymoron. Now, if you're still exclusively doing online services because of convenience, and not because of legitimate health issues or work-related issues or those legitimate things that we would look at, then hear from your pastor today. You need to return to the body of Christ. You need to return to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to return to face-to-face -to -face worship and ministry in the church. Again, if you're a shut-in or those sort of things, we recognize this is a, a ministry to you. But if you don't have those legitimate reasons, then it's time to be back part of the body of Christ. Because we look at Paul here, Paul values the, the importance of those face-to-face -face interactions, those face-to-face -face relationships, but he goes on, and we need to begin to be able to see church as our source of joy and hope. In reflecting on Paul's time in Thessalonica, he talked about the church as being his hope, his joy, his crown of boasting. Paul legitimately believed that these churches he planted were an offering to the Lord, a gift to the King of Kings, and he longed for them to be healthy. He longed to, for them to be vital. He longed for their growth. He longed for their commitment to Christ to continue to flourish, and Paul worked towards those ends. This meant that he had to confront some difficult challenges. Some churches had greater challenges than others, but none of them were perfect. But their imperfections did not matter to the Apostle Paul. He loved his churches. He valued his ministry to the churches. He gave his life for these churches, and not just the organization, 
You see, Paul's joy in the church was not in the institution, but in the organism. And, and there is a difference. Paul knew these churches were living, breathing, gospel-preaching, world-changing outposts for the kingdom. Now, of course, they were organized. The New Testament talks about elders and deacons being the officers, the leadership of the church. Of course, they were organized around some sort of leadership structure. I know we joke about Baptists having committees and things like that. I'm sure the early church had those sort of things, too, as they organized themselves just for the logistics of doing ministry. We see Paul in the New Testament working as a in sort of a committee to collect an offering that would go back to help the church in Jerusalem as it struggled. We see that organizational stuff happening just as a grassroots way in the New Testament. But Paul understood that the church at Thessalonica was not a building that the group of people met in. It was a group of people that met together for worship and discipleship and encouragement. The church was not an organization. It was an organism. It was a network of relationships that developed through the power of the gospel. And Paul deeply appreciated that organism. In our post-COVID world, we need to reclaim that aspect of the church. Understand, this isn't something that happened in March of, of 2020. This was something that, that was already unfolding before we ever heard two weeks to flatten the curve. People had already started to diminish the value of the church long before 2020 ever rolled around, but the problem we all know has been exacerbated since then. You should be proud of your church. You should be proud of your ministry in the church, not a sinful way. Not, not sinful pride, but it, as a parent is proud of their child. I, I'm proud of my children. I don't ever think for a second that my, my pride in my children is a sinful sort of pride. It's a, it's a, it's a parental pride. It's a pride that, that I think we would affirm as, as being virtuous, as a matter of fact. We ought to be proud of our church as a, as a parent is proud of her child. And this is possible even, even when the church isn't perfect. And for the record... It isn't perfect. It stopped being perfect the moment that you showed up and the moment that I showed up. Any notion of perfection disappeared the second we walked in the door. I promise. The church that gets the most heat in the New Testament has to be the church at Corinth. Man, they got problems. Corinth is ever pastor's favorite book, or the letters to Corinthians are ever pastor's favorite books because, because you think you got problems? They got problems. They got issues. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, though, listen to Paul's affectionate words about this church at Corinth. He says, I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Corinth was a mess. It was an absolute disaster of a church. But Paul says, I have... I have pride in you. I'm filled with joy for you. I am overflowing with this joy. Now, Paul didn't just say, let's continue in the mess. Let's celebrate the mess. Let's rejoice in the mess. Paul worked to address the mess, to speak to the mess. But Paul was able to see beyond the mess. At the same time, we need to understand that it isn't pride as we observe, but it's pride as we participate. You know, there is a tendency in our modern evangelical culture to treat church like we treat our favorite teams. Uh, we make the statement when our football team wins, we won. Or when our baseball team, it's baseball season, opening day was this week, we, we say, oh, we won. Did we, though? Unless you practiced with the team, put on a uniform with the team, stood on the sidelines with the team, 
I'll even grant you if you poured water for the team. If you don't check any of those boxes, then technically speaking, it's not we won, it's they won. They won. They won. The only time we win is when we participate with the team. Now, we can be great fans. We can do all those sort of things. But it's never we won unless we're participating. In the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to find your place and join the team. Not from the stands, not from a, the place of observation, but from the field, a place of participation. And we need to understand this. Our connection to the church has eternal consequences. Understand that, that, that what we're doing here, this is not a club. You know, this is not Habitat for Humanity where we build a house and somebody moves in and that house goes away when uh, it rots or it decays. That what we're doing as part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has absolutely eternal consequences. I love what's happening in, in our next-gen ministries here at our church. Over the last few months, we've seen some kids getting saved. It's been incredible to see. Next week, we're going to be celebrate baptisms as we begin our Easter Sunday service with baptisms. The water's going to be full up there. It's going to be awesome. We rejoice in these decisions together. I'm convinced there are still young people in our church and probably some not-so-young people as well who need to turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. I believe that wholeheartedly. When we gather as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do so with no, no pretending. We're doing so with understanding that there are eternal consequences. This week, you here at Chat Valley, you connected with the first set of residents down the street at the apartment complex. The, the first people moved in this week, and you were there. You say, I wasn't there. You were there. Because you helped put together these welcome bags that were put into all of their hands this week so that every single person who moved in this week was introduced to our church. They got their keys and their lease, and they got a welcome bag from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. You connected with those people the very first day they moved into their new home. This week, every single elementary school kid in our immediate vicinity were invited to come to Vacation Bible School through, uh, by, by passing out the little postcards that went home. Every single kid in elementary school in our immediate area was invited to come to Vacation Bible School. And none of this is for the sake of doing this. We don't do VBS because we love VBS. We do VBS because we love kids going to see Jesus. We love kids introducing, being introduced to the gospel and meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. We, love, we don't do this because we're excited about a new set of neighbors. Some of y'all aren't excited about that apartment complex at all. I've heard you talk about it. But you are excited about lost people being introduced to Jesus through the power of the gospel. You are excited about those waters being stirred in the baptistry on Easter Sunday. You are excited about that because you recognize the impact of eternity. When we gather, it's not just about us showing up on Sunday. We gather in light of eternity. Paul understands this. Paul's ministry happens in the day-to-day, but it isn't lost on him that his ministry has eternal consequences. Paul's pride about the church. He says he's going to offer it to Jesus one day. Not he's going to stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, look at the church I built. He's not going to stand before Jesus and say, Lord, you'll be, you'll be pleased with my work. No, he, he talks about it being his joy and his crown. I really do believe the Apostle Paul is so excited that he's going to extend his hand with his work and his ministry and say, Lord Jesus, this is all for you. 
It is not about me. It is not about my ego. It is not about my pride. It is not so that I can have a big church with a full sanctuary. This is for you. We need to recognize the power, the ministry that we do has an eternal impact. And Paul saw his ministry, he saw the effect that it had on the church, and he offers it all as a gift for Jesus. He says one day it would all be a crown that he laid before the Lord. You know, he talks about this on a couple of different occasions. When he talks about crowns in his letters, he sees the crown as a prize or reward. He calls the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 his joy and his crown. But here that crown is something that is offered to Jesus at his coming. That crown is a gift for the king. Paul understands he puts his life on the line for the king. He served these churches for Jesus. It is ultimately and finally and totally all about Jesus. Now, how do we think about that in, in our context? We're not planting churches like the Apostle Paul did. We're not going into these pagan areas with unreached people. We're not doing that. Believe it or not, Flintstone, Chattanooga Valley, it's not an unreached people group. People around here have been exposed to the gospel in a lot of different ways. They've maybe been to vacation Bible school at some point in time. They maybe been to Sunday school at some point in time. They maybe have darkened the door of a church at some point in time. So we're not doing it like Paul did, but we do need to understand that we are still stacking up on these crowns because these crowns are intended for the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to understand that your ministry in the church no matter how small it is, is ultimately and finally, it's not a ministry for the church, but a ministry unto Jesus. Jesus talked about people visiting people in prison and giving cold water and all these sorts of acts of service given to people. And, and Lord, Lord, we didn't do any of that for you. He says, but whenever you did it to these people on my behalf, you did it for me. You need to understand something. You might be serving those babies in the nursery, but you're not doing it for their parents. Their parents appreciate you. You're not doing it for them, although they also appreciate their diapers being changed and all those sort of things. When you serve those babies in the nursery, you're serving Jesus. When you help serve a meal or, or you help go with us in, later this month to do an outreach trailer, an outreach event at the apartments, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it as an offering unto the Lord. And when your ministry bears fruit, eternal fruit, you're a part of it. Maybe all you did was plant seeds or pour water. Maybe you had to do some pruning. Sometimes you even get to be part of the harvest. But all of that is your contribution, your work, your, your participation in a ministry that's offered unto Jesus. I don't love what this time, this season, these, this pandemic has done to our churches. I don't love the impact that it has had on our churches. I don't love that, that churches that had 300 people in services three years ago have 180 people in services today. I don't love it. I don't, I don't like what it's done. But if it has done anything, it's revealed to us that deficiency. It's revealed to us that 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 peace that's missing from us. It's revealed to us that we're not living up to this measure that Paul has put into place here. We need to get back to the place where the church 
has such a high level of importance in our lives. Hear me, it's not just a social meeting. You may have social interactions. I heard a Sunday school class this morning. Y'all were having a blast upstairs. I was looking for something, and y'all were having a blast upstairs, and so that was great. I don't know what you were laughing about, uh, but, but whoever it was upstairs, they were having, uh, it, it was, I wanted to stick my head in and see what was so funny. I mean, I, we understand that. Those social interactions happen, but it's not just a social meeting. We, we love the music. Foster, thank you for, for the choir and everything today. We, we love it. Um, but we don't just come here because we like music. It's not a place where we come for the fun and games. Pastor Jacob wrote a book apparently recently, uh, called it the, the, what was it, the Chubby Bunny Gospel, How to Grow Your Church Through, through Entertainment and, and something or other. It was an April Fool's joke. Um, and so if you're looking to pre-order his book, you got had on the Facebook, just know that. Um, Y'all have fun and games. Upstairs, our kids have fun and games. It's not just about those sort of things. It's not what it's about. We need to be at a place where our connection to the church is something that brings us joy and gladness. That's what should be provoked in our heart as we gather as the body of Christ. And we need to get to the place where those face-to-face -face relationships are the most important kind of relationships that we can have. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we come to you today grateful for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, for her impact in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we get to be part. We get to put our hands to the plow in this ministry. We get to be involved in seeing people come to faith in Jesus. Lord, we are thankful for those things. But Father, we humbly come before you today just acknowledging the fact that these last three years have taken a toll. And in many ways, they've revealed our hearts. In many ways, they've set new patterns. But I pray, God, that we would come to the place to where your church, where your body receives the importance from us that it deserves. And that God, even as we are pulled into many different directions and we have many different things demanding of our time, may our commitment to you that bears itself out in service of our churches May that become evident and real. And God, may it become consequential. The Apostle Paul looked at this church in Thessalonica and he said it, was a, it gave him joy. It was his glory. And the offering of his ministry in that church was completely and totally for Jesus. May we recognize that today. May that be true in our own lives, in our own ministry, in our own participation in the work of your church. This is for you, Lord. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.